I can lead and be healthy at the same time. Like I don't have to compromise that. And it is very common for a leader to put their health on the sidelines for family work or just wait for someday. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so glad you are here today. Today, my guest is Dr. Teresa Larson. She's the founder of Movement Rx. She also lives here in Durango, so I know her personally. She's an amazing human being with an amazing story, and she is so passionate about helping leaders create a sustainable competitive advantage through well-being. Her company, Movement Rx, is a training organization that works with executive leadership teams on bringing health and wellness into their organizations. She does all kinds of keynote speakings and goes into companies and uh, meets people where they're at in, on their wellness journey and helps leadership teams embrace well-being uh, so they can build a culture that is is caring, is focused on making sure that their employees don't burn out and are taking care of themselves and has gotten tremendous results from it. She has a very incredible story. She is a Marine. She was a professional softball player. Go softball. We can connect on, on playing softball, though she was much, 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 much better than me. Uh, and Anne is really focused on making an impact through health and wellness. So hang tight and I will be right back with Teresa. All right, everyone. I am back with my dear friend, Teresa Larson. She lives in Durango where I live and uh, I'm so excited for her to share her expertise with you all today. So Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to be here in Durango with all this snow. Fun. Uh, I know. Did you go skiing? Did you get out and skiing some of it? My little ones did. I I was home. I did sledding. With my six-year-old went to the mountain. My three-year-old and I were sledding here at home. Nice, nice. We yeah. we didn't have school yesterday since it was canceled, and I took Jack up to Purgatory, and it was so beautiful. Nothing like skiing on a bluebird day. Aren't we making all of you jealous? You should come and visit Durango. You should. It's an amazing place. <laughs> Not all at once, though, yes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Awesome. All right. So let's tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and who you are. So can you talk a little yeah. bit about Movement Rx and yeah. where your passion for health and wellness at the executive level comes from? Yes. My name is Dr. Teresa Larson. I'm actually a doctor of PT, physical therapy by trade and a strength and conditioning coach. However, I don't practice traditional PT. I actually don't practice PT at all anymore. I sold my PT practice, which was located in San Diego two years ago, and then picked up and moved to Durango to run more remote <laughs> work that we do, which is around leadership and well-being and government. We do some government contracting as well. Either way, government contracting or executive coaching training is really around helping people take ownership of their health and well-being because it does affect how they show up to work every day. And if you want to make a difference with your employees, you have to set the example, just like as parents. If we want our kids to be a certain way, we have to set the example for them. And that's why we focus on leadership and well-being. And it's the same in the government space, although the, the sales process is a little different there. But it kind of all stemmed from, I mean, it's been a journey for sure, but I was a Marine officer, so I'm a Marine Corps veteran and professional athlete. 
professional softball player as a pitcher. So I have a very strong right arm. <laughs> I call them, um, my arms vicious and delicious. I'm wearing a pretty nice sweater right now, but yes, they are intimidating. If you were to like come at me in a bar, I would show them to you if you were causing problems. But yeah, it says Marine officer. You're such a badass. <laughs> I, I, I've had to do my fair share of takedowns. Um, so yes, Marine officer, professional athlete. And then I was like, what am I going to do with my life? I need to actually make a living. And so I decided sports medicine was that. And But with the journey of sports medicine, I was like, how do I want to really help people though? And so I kept pivoting when I saw a gap. Started with physical therapy. And then I was like, well, I don't want to keep doing one-on-one. I want to impact a larger group of people. And then it was corporate wellness, doing corporate wellness trainings. And that seemed not enough. I found that leaders weren't engaged with their corporate wellness offerings, EAP programs or whatever they were offering. People wouldn't really stay consistent with it. And so that's where I was like, you know what? I'm a leader. And I had to learn the hard way how to stay healthy and lead at the same time. I know other people can relate to me. And so that's when I started to really dive into that focus of an audience. And it's been wonderful. I love this that you talk about pivoting um, because I think that's such an important aspect of well-being and probably one that we don't talk about enough of when you aren't fulfilled at work and especially when you are following what you think your life path is. And then you say, ooh, this isn't what I'm interested in. You've got to pivot. But a lot of people are scared to do that. It can feel very intimidating. You're not sure if you're going to be successful. And obviously, the expertise at that health and well-being level stayed the same, but being a PT and then going into coaching and into corporate wellness is a pretty big pivot. So maybe could you talk a little bit about what that felt like at that time when you were trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life and how do I make this pivot? So one of the big transitions was obviously from the Marine Corps to regular civilian life. And thankfully, going back to school to do some prerequisites and then playing professional softball is kind of a nice softer landing. But once I was done with softball, it was a huge pivot. I was just thinking about that this morning when I was coming off away from the gym. I was like, I literally went to Villanova University, became a Marine Corps officer, did all these high accomplishing things at a young age. And then I found myself at a community college in the middle of LA and going to school with 18 year olds and having to figure out physics and chemistry. And I was like, what am I doing? And I remember my dad saying, wow, this is... (laughs) You're going to have to be really dedicated. You got to really want to do what you're going to do to do this because it was a totally different environment. But that time frame I took to do those prerequisites in that time of transition to learn, okay, a lot of the medical prerequisites are similar. So I didn't have to worry about which profession yet, but that gave me a chance to pause and really think about what do I want to do with my degree once I get it? And I've always been pretty passionate about medicine and well-being because my mother at a young age passed away from breast cancer. And I was always sticking up for her at the doctor's office and asking about other alternative ways she could help herself, even at the age of like nine and 10 Um, versus does she have to always be on medication or what about physical fitness? And so the two years of prerequisites was a nice transition to becoming a PT because I knew physical medicine was it. But then once I got into the reality of the job, (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, this is not, I want to make a difference. And to be honest, I also really want to be remembered. Like I want to make a difference and be remembered. And that doesn't come from a place of ego. That comes from a place of, I, I truly feel I know what people need based on my experience. 
with my own health and well-being challenges, which we can dive into too in the podcast. But that was a big transition, just getting my degree. But then the pivot really stemmed from PT to corporate wellness to leadership was like around me feeling burnt out from doing one-on-ones. I was working in the CrossFit space, traveling around, speaking for CrossFit, but then also running my one-on-one practice, running a team. And I didn't like one-on-ones. And I felt kind of ashamed because I'm I'm supposed to be a PT here. I'm supposed to be doing one-on-ones in manual therapy. And people loved coming to me because I'm strong and I'm going to be physical with them. And I'm going to, you know, not BS with them. And so I found like, even though I was good at it, didn't mean I wanted to do it. And I dreaded the days. And I ran my own business, the days of going into the clinic, my own clinic. And so I knew there had to be a change and I wanted freedom. And it wasn't just financial freedom. It was freedom of where I live, what I got to do with my day, who I chose to speak to. And that's when the slow transition to running more digital programming and trainings happened. Pivot again, pandemic, right? Then everything like the PT practice hadn't, we didn't sold it yet, shut down for about a year with some telehealth. That gave me another chance to really think about Besides just corporate wellness, where can I really focus my attention? And financially, of course it was hard, but it was one of the best times for innovation. And it gave me the chance to take that leap of like, we're selling the PT practice, we're gonna move to the mountains and we're gonna focus on leadership trainings. And because I know that I got very clear on the problem I was solving for leaders. And those pauses, even though they were forced on me, Transition from the Marines, transition from softball, transition into the pandemic. I was pregnant too with my second kid, my second son. So I had to sit still or be still and think about it. And so I'm thankful for those times. Even though they were hard, those are what helped me grow. And honestly, when you're able to have peace in times of uncertainty is a gift. Everyone's got uncertainty and everyone's got stuff. But if you can learn to be at peace with it and still healthy through all of it, like the the dividends that you get, it'll be less effort to get through those things. And as Rocky Balboa says, and I love this, I actually have this quote back here. It's not about how hard you hit, but how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Like you're either going through a hard hit, you just went through one, you're going to. So yeah, I've been through a lot of hard hits. But you know what? The things I do for my self-care help me navigate those with a little more ease and grace. I agree with you. I actually am giving a, a talk here soon, talking a little bit about my why. And I thought a lot about my why, you know, why do I do all the things that I do? And why did I write my book? And a lot of it comes from this. It's just overcoming those obstacles and those really tough times and how much it teaches you about your own resilience and your own ability to pick yourself back up and to get through those hard times. And I have so much gratitude for those difficulties and the bad decisions that I've made or the mistakes that I've made because I've learned so much from them. And I think the most important thing is that I've learned that I can pivot and I can come out of the other side stronger, even though it's really scary in those moments or it's painful. So gratitude through the tough times. That's, I think, a really important aspect of the ownership mindset of living a healthy life is knowing that life is not easy. Like we're not 
meant to be put on this earth just to live this easy breezy life. <laughs> We're yeah. meant to go through these challenges that help us grow and develop as people. But if you really embrace those lessons and use them to help you figure out what am I actually on this earth to do? It's so much mm -hmm. more fulfilling when you get to the other side. Yeah. And honestly, when I think about it, the other side is like a continuous work in progress. Exactly. So in 2016, I actually wrote my own memoir. And one of the things I remember talking to my publicist that I wanted to be very clear about was I don't ever want people to see that I've arrived. I will share these big moments in my life and the journey. But no matter what stage I'm on or who I'm talking to, like I want to make sure I meet people where they're at and know that I struggle too. And just because I do this work doesn't mean I don't struggle. And that it's a constant work in progress. I really am working more and more to embrace that because there's yeah. sometimes in business or being competitive, it's okay, what's the end game here? When's the finish line? It's like, well, actually the finish line is when you're six feet under. How are you living now? And is there really, I mean, yeah, there's competition in business, but it really doesn't matter. Just do what you do best and put it out in the world. Obviously, be strategic and thoughtful, but just live your life the best you can. And as cliche as it sounds, enjoy the journey because yeah. this life we have right now, this way of connecting, you and I right now is what we have. The future is the future. The past is the past. We could actually retrain the way we think about our past. Like your story, the past for me of having to be medevaced for an eating disorder while as a service member, I've had to reframe that story quite a bit because there's a lot of shame attached to it. I actually chose to get help. That's strength. And if I hadn't experienced that, I wouldn't be who I am today as thoughtful and persistent and intentional with what I do with my time and how I spend my time and how I take care of myself. But I've had to consciously reframe a lot of those past stories. But when I yeah. thought about like life, I mean, this is right now. And so it's not about, oh man, what's going to happen after this podcast? I mean, I do have goals and projections and things, but how do I want to be right now is the most important. I love that. That's beautiful. You touched on it and I wanted to get into it because I know that you talk about your eating disorder and I know that it's in your book. Uh, share the title of your book too. So if listeners are interested in picking up a copy. Yeah, it's Warrior. So I've got, yeah. um, I was blonde at one point like you. <laughs> Um, so warrior is basically my come to wellness story. It really has nothing to do with the work I do. It's more of my path through recovery yeah. and growing up with two very large older brothers and coming Marine. And, um, it does talk a little bit about when I first started my business, cause I started my business right around the time I published it. And I do have the plans to write another one around business, business and warriorship. Yeah. I love that. I love that. All right. So let's talk a little bit about where this passion for fitness, well-being, mental health came from. Did it, it, it obviously started before you developed an eating disorder, but I think that listening to you tell your story, that that's accumulation of asking for help and really getting on a path of true well-being is yeah. so important. So can you share your story? Yeah. So the eating disorder experience was a big turning point. Because up until that point, I was really trying to please so many other people. My father, my brothers, and the Marine Corps was like that thing that I wanted to be like my brothers. Like when I was a little girl, I'd rather be a Boy Scout than a Girl Scout. And I actually did a lot with the Boy Scouts. 
being raised by my dad and brothers, it was part of me and seeing my older brothers become Marines. So I had a deep competitive drive for being the best. I had to be the best. And when I look back, a lot of it stemmed after my mother passed away when I was 10, just the need to be seen, you know, working through like mean girl stuff or competitive nature of kids. I wanted to be the best because when I was the best, I was written about in the paper. People talked about me and that kind of helped build my self-esteem, right? I was very athletic. I went to Seattle Prep, which was up in Washington, but I was very good at sports, basketball, softball, even running cross country. The softball was my sport. But besides the point, like just the drive to be super competitive and the best built my self-esteem. And you can imagine that's like a roller coaster because if I lost a game, that would really be a blow to my self-confidence. If I won a game, I felt awesome. Kind of carry over to college, same thing. And so I started to develop disordered eating where I would really restrict food and then not restrict food, but it kind of was on and off. My emotions were all over the place. I found in the off season, I would be pretty happy. And then during the season, I would get pretty depressed and pretty focused just on winning. And if I didn't win, it would be a problem. And so my college career was pretty all over the place. And all the while, I was also doing ROTC. So I went to play a Division One softball, but then I was also doing Marine Corps ROTC. I think I studied in there too a little bit, but the pressure just kept on escalating. And I ended up becoming like Biggie's pitcher of the year, two times in a row, All-American pitcher. Like I got all those accolades, but I still didn't feel great about myself. The wins and losses very much affected my self-esteem. And going into the Marine Corps, and there was just another level of pressure and a pressure I wanted, but I ended up not being able to handle it. Because it was like, if you enter the day with a level of anxiety or stress, and then it just keeps building throughout the day, right? It becomes a problem. You're going to burst at some point. And so when I was in the Marines, I had a platoon and 54 plus Marines, fewer women, and we deployed a few times. One time was to Operation Iraqi Freedom 3. And at this point, with, within my second year of being a Marine, I started to binge and purge, also noted as bulimia. And this is not good, but no one gets in trouble for doing that. I'm like, you know, maybe dr drinking too much or drugs, right? No one really knew what was going on. It was something easy to hide, but it definitely affected my mood considerably, but it became this crutch for me. But I didn't want anyone to know because my Marine mission accomplishment and troop welfare were my most important things. I didn't think I mattered as much as they did, right? In the end, when you think about it, like I just didn't believe I mattered because again, taking care of my Marines and making sure they had all the training they needed and then accomplishing the mission, which I was escorting female insurgents, right? Terrorists from back to their villages. I was running in convoys, looking for landmines. I was building vehicle checkpoints, like doing all these serious things. My life doesn't matter. I got to make sure everyone else is taken care of. Yet all the while, I'm binging and purging quite a bit. And I remember talking to my father, who actually was a Catholic priest, and he was second vocation Catholic priest because he's a widower and had his own parish. And I remember him talking to me and he's like, I... I'm praying for you every day, Teresa. Like, I, I just feel like you're on this roller coaster. And while you're at war, it seems like you're more at war with yourself. And I really would like you to ask for help. The Marine Corps will always go on, but you won't. And I've already lost your mom. I don't know what I would do without you. 
And it hit me like, I matter to someone. <laughs> and I remember sitting in the little phone cell that I was in, like falling. And all I was trying to hide that because there were Marines all around me. And I'm tall, blonde. Like I stand out like a sore thumb in the Marine Corps. I don't get hidden well. And so I, I remember that moment, like I matter to someone. I need to get help. Whatever is going on with me, this binging, purging, depression, isolation, it could affect my Marines, right? If I wasn't clear out on a mission, like I'm not just sitting behind a desk, like I'm out doing stuff. And my dad was also like, you're, you got to take into account who you're taking care of. The Marines matter just as much as you, not more. So the, the Marines I was serving, not the Marine Corps in general. So I remember um, the hardest thing I've done is ask for help in theater to my commanding officer. And he looked at me like I had 10 heads. Uh, and it was a jur the journey back from Iraq from with this condition was for me very humiliating at the time. I could not tell people what was actually going on with me because here I am sitting in a medevac airplane with people who have been blown up, lost limbs, traumatic brain injuries. And I'm sitting next to a guy who tried to blow up his own unit because he was so mentally. And I'm there and like, I felt so, so low. So that path back was like, just very hard and facing my own family too. Cause I had some family members were like, you're a disappointment. You're supposed to take care of your Marines. What the hell happened to you? And I had to figure out what Teresa wanted through therapy, put up boundaries with family and who I listened to, put boundaries up with friends, learn how to take care of myself again, <laughs> how to not succumb to these symptoms and eat well. But like, it wasn't about the food. It was about my life. And there was a whole process of figuring out who Teresa was wanted and needed and loving Teresa. And so, yes, I became sober from bulimia. I've been in recovery since 2007. And um, I, but all the while, like even becoming a PT, it was a journey of understanding health and well-being on another level. Yet it's still, there still is a limitation. I'm not really feeling like I, with this knowledge, how, how I'm going to be proactive with helping people. I want to meet people where they're at in the trenches. I don't want to be in a cushy clinic with wallpaper. Like I want to be out with people in the field, in their job, figuring out what do they need and letting them know that whatever ailment they have or shame, it's okay. that They can work through it. It was almost like I'm giving people what I felt I needed from my leadership that I didn't get. I'm giving them love and care and understanding. And yes, I'm giving you skills in sleep, in food, in movement, in mindset training, meditation, and social support. But really, I'm making you feel loved as a human being. And yeah, that was a big pivot for me with my own personal journey. And it is a constant daily practice, though. Like, I had some low moments over the holidays. I've lost both my parents. I have little ones. And so I miss them. And I would love having a mom around to tell me like, oh yeah, just try this or do that. And yet I knew that the things I needed to do to kind of help me and, and have gratitude for the fact I had them. You know, and I have some great friends and I have loving, you know, loving husband. And, and so I have hard times still, but like, as long as I can stay committed to my self-care, those the grasping, the softening can happen. 
and I show up as a better version of myself for myself and my kids and the people that work for me. Yeah, you're such a great role model. And thank you for sharing that story. And I think it segues so well into exactly your impact on the world. Like, you know, you've been there and working with leaders and executive leadership, right? They are high achievers, high performers. So you can relate to that pressure that they're, that they're under. I can see how this really speaks to you doing this work with executive leadership around health and wellness. So Talk a little bit about that. And you talked about the foundation, the pillars that you worked with executive leaders on. How do you help them realize that they have issues like you had within themselves and within their teams and what to do about it? Yeah. So that's also the part with running a business I've gotten pretty clear on is how I get that message across. So I do a lot of work on LinkedIn just because that's my audience, not only executive leadership, but veterans like veteran ERG, employee resource group leads. But I do a lot of sharing of videos, funny videos, very unfiltered type stuff. But the biggest way is from the speaking I do. I do breakout sessions. I do keynotes. I do trainings for organizations. And and I love it because I have a voice. I know how to use it. And I feel it's a very authentic way for me to spread this message. And I know it's solving a problem because the leaders I've worked with Usually their response is, you gave me permission to take care of myself again. Thank you. Or you helped me take ownership of my health and well-being. Or I didn't know that. Thank you. Like you woke me up to this. And so the process I take a leader through is I always share a story. It makes me relatable. If I could frame it up into one word or one sentence, I can lead and be healthy at the same time. Like I don't have to compromise that. And it is very common for a leader to put their health on the sidelines for family work or just wait for someday. But at the end of the day, yes, I'm going to help you retain employees because an employee that feels cared for is going to be a happier employee. But then you're also going to be happier, right, and grow as a human being. But I always share stories and then I take them and I open up about blind spots because we all have blind spots. But a lot of people don't realize, for example, stress, where it comes from. They may get a diagnosis from their doctor saying they have hypertension. Like, okay, well, hypertension deals with my blood. And the doctor may say, you need to decrease stress. Well, okay, what what does that look like? Um, Or they have heart disease. Or maybe they've got stage one cancer or something, like some autoimmune issue or skin breakout. But like, we got to start looking upstream. So the symptoms, maybe another easier example, low back pain. Yeah, low back pain. It's in the low back. Well, it's usually not the low back that's the problem or the cause, the cause is somewhere else, like the mid-back, the hips, the lack of movement. But the medical industry usually just focuses on that low back or just that hypertension. When you look upstream, you're like, there's an incident that happened. There's a conflict at work. There's a relationship issue going on at home. And then all of a sudden, people start to get body and mental tension from that stress, body and mental tension. Pretty normal until it becomes chronic, which is more than three months. And then as that develops, it turns into hypertension. Could be stage one cancer, could be low back pain, a number of things. The cause of all of that is not moving enough, not being able to calm neck up. Whatever did happen, so with law enforcement, like if there's an incident that happened, whatever did happen, I can't control that, but I can control how I stay calm and and retell the story around it, as well as find my center calm every day training my mind to find calm. I say calm a lot because 
it's important. <laughs> we want to train that monkey mind to have a, be, be quiet versus always going. Um, so sleeping decreases your emotional reactivity if you sleep seven hours or more. It also releases melatonin, which isn't just a sleep drug. It's sleep hormone. It's also an anti-inflammatory or food or the people you're around. If you're looking at social media every second of your break, it's a problem. Social media can be very toxic, can be amazing. But if you're constantly on it and you're always looking into other people's lives, that's a problem. And so I uncover the blind spots for people. Like, let's look upstream, downstream at these issues and really tackle it from a holistic well-being space. Because you know what? The solution is the reverse of the cause. Starting to train your mind, getting enough sleep, getting enough movement. And so these things that happen, you don't respond, you know, with physical and emotional tension for three months. It's like, oh, you respond and you let it go, which is what normal stress is. So then after that, I take them through an assessment. Now, of course, in a breakout session or keynote, I can't take them through a whole assessment, but Whenever a company hires me to work with them, I always talk about assessment. You can't change what you don't measure. We're big on data. So we look at physical capability. We look at emotional leadership and work health. And so those are four measurements, assessments we take an organization through before we train with them and then after, just so we can share the results with them. It's all HIPAA compliant, which is part of what we, you know, be in the healthcare space, it's just privacy laws. And then after that, I teach them how to stick to their well-being skills. While I do these tests, I t uncover blind spots and I share about how sleep, food, mindset, movement, and social support are the five key components. Well, then how do you stick to those? Because it seems like a lot. Like I've got work, I've got family, life. Like how do I fit this in? And so I uncover like the main excuses we make to hold us back. Like I don't have time. I don't feel like it, maybe someday. And the big one is, I only ask you to be 1% better a day, which is basically taking one of those skills and making it a part of your life right now. And it takes about 70 days, give or take, to make it have an automatic. Could take longer for some, but you know, I kind of paint a picture of like, start with sleep if that's not dialed in. Then go to meditation or prayer and then go to movement and work around the circle of those five well-being components. But one at a time, because guess what? If you do, if you start sleeping better, that basically changes everything. It changes your clarity, it changes your confidence, changes your creativity, your emotional state. So that's a great start, but that is more reasonable. And I had one leader from Amazon at a conference I was at in July was like, that's one thing he got from it. It was like, I only have to be 1% better. And his thing was like, you know, I teach people one little hack is like drinking through a straw. You're going to drink more water if you drink through a straw. I'm like, you should be drinking half your body weight in ounces of water a day. Most people don't get that. And so that, for whatever reason, that stood out to him the most. And he's like, I am super hydrated and I feel great. <laughs> I work to help people meet them where they're at, but really give them like these tools that can help them right now, but also help them last. Because this is also about longevity. I don't care about your work as much as I care about you. If you want to last in this life, you do have to take care of yourself. Or else your physical capacity, and we've all seen it, people's physical capacities decline quickly the more sedentary you become. And that is a sign of aging. That is aging. So do this for you 
but also so you can last in life and, and doing what you love. What I do is I bring it to life during a keynote. It's like, I got to make this exciting and fun and very relatable. And then ideally a company from a, a keynote or a breakout is like, yeah, I want more of this. And so I, I get an intake of what they want more of. And then boom, we, we dive into that. Lots of leaders listen to this podcast. How would they go, oh, I need to work with Teresa? I mean, I think probably everybody does, right? We can all be healthier and have better well-being in our lives. But what would a leader observe with their leadership team to see, maybe we need some assistance here? So that's a good question. Most companies probably have the sales team of some sort. But just start observing your culture. Like, is there negativity in the culture? Do you have people who are obsessively worried about stuff or just feel like, the weight of the world is on them or if there's obesity in your workforce or people who have low energy, low productivity, I will tell you, everyone needs this support. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche answer, like looking at my training as a health provider, we have this spectrum of sick, well, fit. Now, if you're sick, yeah, heck yeah. And you might not even know it, but well, hopefully you do know it. But if you don't, I will help you know what to do if you're sick. But everyone in your company probably is on the spectrum somewhere. Even if you're a really fit person, like an Olympic athlete, doesn't mean you can't work on your stuff and learn something new. Most people are in the well to sick phase, actually. Just because your blood work comes back great from your medical doctor doesn't really mean much because we're not a healthy country. So we want to be very proactive, not just looking at our once a year physical from our doctor or the once a year blood work we do. We need to look at our actions that we take each day. So I would say if you have people in your culture, in your company who seem a little stressed out, maybe mentally down or physically need some work or not as active as they want to be, that's a good trigger to say, hey, I need a reboot. Because I'm sure most programs have EAP programs, but not everyone uses them. Actually, a low percentage yeah. typically does. And so I provide these in-person, very customized, highly energizing experiences that kind of help people reboot. And so really anyone can gain a benefit, gain, gain insight and well-being from one of my talks. The Olympic athlete, you know, maybe that's something around sleep. Maybe that's a little information on testosterone that I share about, you know, benefits from sleep. Or maybe it's the person that's really sedentary that's like, I just needed a little kick in the pants that wants to be able to play with their kids, which just doesn't have the energy. That is the feedback I've gotten is that I'm pretty, pretty good at meeting people where they're at. Yeah. And not definitely. shaming them for where they're at, which right. is unfortunately yeah. can be a thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in the fitness space and leadership space, I'm not the almighty standing up there saying, I got my shit together. I'm just going to provide you evidence and inspiration and give you tools to go run with it. Yep. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, we have a pretty robust wellness program here. We have a life coach who works with our employees. We actually do have a pretty high usage of our EAP, but that's because we talk awesome. about it. And leadership says, hey, I've used it. And then so mm -hmm. China destigmatizes um, getting help and it pays off. Our health insurance costs are so much lower than the average company because 
we have people who are healthy. And that's not just yeah. because, you know, eating right and moving, but mental health. And it doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, a mental health crises from time to time mm-hmm. or that everybody looks at well-being the same way as the vast majority of our employees do. But it really does make a difference having mm-hmm. it part of your culture where, I mean, for us, practice self-leadership is one of our values. And the very top bullet of practice self-leadership is take care of yourself. If you are not taking care of yourself, you are you can't take care of others. You can't take care of customers, our co- our company, and so we prioritize that well being. It's such an important aspect, and it pays off. It really does. It pays off in yeah. retention. Yeah. It pays off in healthier employees who can focus, who are more productive, who are happier in their lives, and that all translates into better productivity, better profitability, people wanting to work for your company. It really does yeah. matter. Well, that makes a difference. So all the things you said that you're doing, but the the one that stood out the most was the fact that leadership is talking about it and doing it makes a difference. Because when they don't, that's when you can start to see the problem. I had a company that I'll be working with this year. I didn't really know much about their culture, but they're all about internal strength. Their internal strength as a human needs to be stronger than their growth. And they're a fast growing company. And it was really nice to hear. But then I asked him, where is the pain points with your leadership then? If you guys have all of these things, which is awesome. And like they let people show up like just how they are. There's no judgment. Like people can say like, look, I I was up with 2 a.m. with my baby. Like I, I can't think straight today. Can I go take a nap? They're very supportive of their people. And even this guy, like they hired a psychologist to be a head of talent, which is pretty cool. But he was saying the big thing was burnout still. So even though the leadership is super involved, they are experiencing burnout and they would like more sleep training with their leadership. That was something that it's like just kind of meeting people where they're at and saying, okay, well, what would you like to see? What do you need? And I actually really love working with organizations that really have it dialed in because people are going to be more receptive anyway. Yeah. And, And I do like the challenges though, too. I mean, believe me, I worked I've been in front of audiences of a few hundred people, law enforcement, who are looking at me like, who the F are you? Who's this lady going to talk to me about my health? (laughs) And then Uh at the end, it's like, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, it's, (laughs) but yeah, it's, um, I've been in front of some pretty salty audiences. (laughs) (laughs) We need to wrap things up. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and sharing your experience. And I hear you. I think well-being is just, it's got to be at the forefront of every leadership team, every leader, every human being. 24 is going to be a tough year, but we can handle it better if we are finding gratitude, meditating, sleeping, eating well, moving our bodies and having really healthy relationships. Yeah. Thank you for your work. It's really important. Well, thank you. I I love talking about this stuff. It's easy talking to you with a leader who gets it. <laughs> so yeah. I um, I do, for your audience, I have a Lifestyle Rx that you can download and get a lot of these like kind of, it's almost like an assessment of where you're at with those five components of well-being, which is nice. You can print it out. It's got some free mobility drills on there. So you can see me doing ball work, massaging my neck, mid-back, you can do it too. So no need for aches and pains anymore. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll include that in the show notes. And how can people find you? So go to movementrx, movement-rx.com and or on LinkedIn under Dr. Teresa Larson, DPT. Perfect. Easy. Wonderful. 
Awesome. Again, I'll include that all in the show notes. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. I look forward to hearing how you all are doing on your well-being journey. Feel free to reach out to me. This is what I love to do. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, everybody, hang tight. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for that interview. I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out Teresa's download in the show links. And she also is having a wellness retreat in May in Colorado. I'm going to include that link in the show notes as well, so that if you are interested in seeing what her programming is all about, it's very inspiring. You will definitely come out feeling better and you'll have tools in your tool belt to be able to address your own personal well-being and that of your team. All right, with that, I will leave you for your day. Thank you so much for joining me again, and I will see you next week. Thanks.